You know, there's a rumor going around that John Biner does Ed Sullivan better than I do. So here on our really big show is my talented friend, John Biner. Thank you. I do a, a better Ed Sullivan than you do. Well, I think those reports are ridiculous. <laughs> they're just, they're just done, they're just, just. And now, you know, Ed, I got started on your show six years ago. Do you realize that? I've been coming back here bugging you for six years. Six years ago, and I didn't, I had no idea I was gonna be in show business. I was driving a truck, and I used to make, really, I used to make the guys laugh down by the trucks. You know, in the morning before we get in the trucks, I used to make them laugh doing an impression of Ed Sullivan, you know, just to start the day a little happier. You wanna bring that truck over here? <laughs> well, that's your, that's your truck. You wanna back that truck up and bring that truck? Oh, that's his truck, he's over there? Oh, fine, you know. Little John Biner there from the Ed Sullivan Show back in, let's see, January 3rd, 1971. That's 50 years ago. And he's had a career longer than that. Tony Mazur here with you. And this is a fun interview for me because I've been a fan of his for a long time. And I think a lot of you, whether you've known it or not, have probably been fans of him and seen him in something or heard him in something as well. And that's John Biner. And he has a book out that is available. It's called Five Minutes, Mr. Biner. And goes over his life and career and basically being on every big TV show and meeting every big celebrity of the era. So without further ado, here he is, John Biner. Adding to the festivities tonight, the man of a thousand faces, a hundred voices, and a million laughs, John Biner. Uh, well, it's a blizzard out here as I record this interview, and I, I'm joined by somebody I've been a fan of for many years, and I know you have too. Uh, you've seen him in basically everything. If, you, if you've been a fan of television from, oh, sometime in the early to mid-1960s on, you've seen this man in some way, shape, or form on television, and especially heard him on television as well, and that's John Biner. He's got a book out. Uh, it's called Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, and uh, it, it's, it's honestly, it's a pleasure getting a chance to talk to you because uh, as somebody who's a big fan of the impressionists from back in the day and the the voice actors and everything you're you really are a pioneer for a lot of us in this generation of uh, in radio and comedy and everything and you kind of look up to those days and you were somebody that me you worked hard and you ended up becoming uh, just this like larger than life figure in comedy where it just it seemed like everything was working out especially right after the Sullivan days but John thanks so much for, for joining us here and uh, it's uh, it, it's a really cool story and I, I encourage everybody to go get this book well thank you Tony pleasure to be here so I, I want I want to get started just talking about like kind of with the beginning and you mentioned a lot of your upbringing in the book but your father passed away when you were 11 years old and you kind of which was an interesting thing for me because I'm in my 30s so the the Jerry Lewis phenomenon for someone my age was way past you know people my age didn't know who Jerry Lewis was and it took yeah. a while for me personally to understand why that generation loved Jerry Jerry Lewis. And it wasn't until probably a few years ago, it, going back, whether it was the old telethons or watching some of the movies and some of the old Copacabana shows with Dean, that I understood him and I understood Jerry Lewis. And you were one of those where you kind of looked 
at some of those figures from growing up like Jerry Lewis is kind of like a father figure to you. Well, yeah, I was uh, like you know, 11 years old. My father had passed away, and I was feeling low and down and all that good stuff, and bad stuff, rather. And uh, and I just couldn't snap out of it. And a friend of mine had a television set in his house, and we didn't. And, I, and he invited me over to see the Colgate Comedy Hour <clears throat> with two guys named Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And I sat there laughing at Jerry Lewis. I forgot all about my troubles, and I thought, wow. <laughs> and the thing I liked about him later on in life, I started thinking why it was, he was an adult, and he acted like a child. You know, and he just flat out acted like a child. Just being crazy and Louie and hoi hoi and all that stuff. <laughs> and I, I just loved it. I just loved it a lot. And uh, and he, he was the reason that got me into, like, wanting to make people laugh for, for all my life. So, you know, there's only a couple of stations in those days to watch, and somebody yeah. like Jerry Lewis, that you, you get an opportunity to see that, and you start mimicking the voice, and o- over time, you got to actually meet and meet Dean Martin, of course, and we'll get to him in a little bit, but Jerry, did they like yeah. the impression that you did of them? Well, I did I did his show, and I, I really didn't do an impression of him ever in front of him. Or, <laughs> wait, know, were, like, wait, were, were you afraid of that? Were you afraid that, no, like, if not you... not at all. Okay. Not at all. I just didn't, I didn't, you know, once in a while he passed in the hallway and go, hey, over, you know. <laughs> but aside from that, uh, you know, we, we just did our sketches. I did his show. He had a show on uh, NBC there for, I don't know, six or eight, ten weeks, something like that. And I did that, and I was, uh, I was his uh, right-hand man. Was that the infamous Jerry Lewis show that uh, with the big Jerry Lewis theater and they, they they named everything after him? Everything was in gold. And the first episode, they do the thing where he gets <laughs> locked out of the door. <laughs> no, that was more of like a talk show kind of thing. Okay, like a Johnny Carson kind of thing. This was a, a sketch show, uh, a TV sketch show. We did sketches and and had fun, and uh, you know it didn't last too long, but. Uh, we had fun. Well, and then in those days where you're you're beginning, because unlike, a, I think a lot of, whether you're a comedian or some kind of entertainer, you get that first little bit of uh, feeling that you want to make the move out west. You want to want to move to New York, want to move to L.A., Chicago, whatever well, the, that one was, of the big... Was, I had no choice but to go out there because Steve Allen met me uh, in when I was working with Mel Torme and Cy Zentner. Uh, and rather, and, and Woody Herman in the, the uh, in Manhattan, and and uh, and and he came in to see the show because he and Mel were friends from their childhood in Chicago, and uh, I opened for Mel and I worked there two weeks and and one night I heard that cackle that he had, ah, you know, that was, uh, <laughs> Steve Allen cackle, yep. and and I said, oh my God, Steve Allen's in the audience, and I thought, wow, that's great. He saw me, he heard my stuff, and he laughed at me, and I went down to the dressing room and. Uh, <clears throat> waiting for the next show and the phone rang and it was Mel he said come on up to my dressing room Sony wants to see you and it was Steve and he said uh, when I get my next show you're on it and he uh, he kept his word and I went out to uh, Mel invited me out to Vegas to work with him at the Tropicana uh, with Cy Zentner the first guy I mentioned and uh and uh, and I, I, uh, I commuted uh, from uh, Vegas to LA to uh, do the Steve Allen show uh, for about two weeks before uh, our show ended in uh, in Vegas, and then I moved to L.A. just to be closer to the show. And that's how I got to L.A. I got to California. It was through Steve Allen. 
but you were before you're born and raised in New York and you spent your early adulthood and as a you were a truck driver. I mean, because when you see I some a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I got out of the Navy, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And the job I had in the Navy wasn't paying very much in the real world. It was a, I was a radio man and a teletype operator. And I tried in Western Union and and what they were paying a week to new people uh, would just about pay for my car fare. So I couldn't do that, <clears throat> and I I, I was I, I made uh, I cut sheet metal in the sheet metal shop for radiator enclosures, and uh, and I I worked for a gardener for a while, and I I worked for a swimming pool company, and I was a plumber's apprentice. And you really kind of did that at all because you know some people have these visions when they're in school, and oh, I can't wait to turn eighteen, I can't wait to turn twenty one and move, and you you had a life before this, so you actually had that opportunity to kind of see that different perspective when you were doing whether all whether you know your nightclub act or doing something on television is that you actually had that basis of being kind of the regular joe whereas you when you see some people on tv it's like you're not a regular joe you're free, you went to harvard <laughs> you don't know anything yeah, about what that's they, like you know they they have it in their heart and soul that that's what they want to do for their life and uh and that's the way it goes. And I never had, I never thought it would get past uh, talent shows out in Long Island. I never did. I never thought, because it was always the uh, the banker's wife or somebody's kid that would win. You know, <laughs> that was the head of the town. And uh, and I thought it's just not unfair. It's not fair. You know, it's all uh, who who you have to know. And I didn't know anybody, so I never thought I was going to get in the show business. And you get your opportunity. Uh, the story that I heard is that you, and that, that I read this. You basically. Basically, you were just driving by a nightclub or some kind of club, or maybe it was yeah, just a bar, and right. you just decided to get on stage. Had, I was married, had three kids working for Welding Swimming Pool Company in Hempstead, out at Hempstead, and I was driving a truck, and every time I'd pass this place, it, I'd see the sign that said, Entertainment Every Friday Night, or Saturday Night, and, uh, and uh, I, I, that was in my mind, and I got home one night, and my wife told me we, we had to uh, supplement the income somehow, because, the you know wasn't making enough money and then so I remember that sign I put my suit on and I drove to the place and I walked in the door and it all started there uh, as I walked in there was a comic uh, leaving the stage to one person clapping <laughs> to a room full of about 25 people 20 people whatever and I found the boss I asked him if I could try something out and he said sure it couldn't hurt you heard but you know and he pointed to the stage like you heard that, right? So he said it couldn't hurt, and I got up there, and he hired me. And for I don't know, several months after that, I worked every Saturday night to supplement my income. And that's a, it's such a great story because you know a lot of people when you kind of get that feeling of being on stage, and I I had that when I started doing stand up. I've been doing it about seven years now, and. It that first time you get up there, you f you're on cloud nine because you don't realize the reaction that the audience maybe they're maybe they're friends and family in the audience they give you a big ovation but you really didn't do as well and then that next time you go out there and then you just it falls flat at least you got kind of that baptism by fire by seeing that comic beforehand bomb yeah. and then you say well yeah exactly it couldn't be any worse it couldn't hurt and then you could just bu build up from there and and honestly that from the first time to the fifth time you get on stage you're getting better each time and you had that practice so by the time exactly and then you have people telling people that i'm there and they're coming around to see me and and uh it was just it just built it built built and built it just went it got larger and larger and and one night uh, the the bass player and the trio that were in that club 
was looking through the paper. We were allowed to hang out in the kitchen between shows on Saturday night. And he's looking through the newspaper. He says, hey, they're having a JFK contest in Manhattan. And uh, I had been doing JFK in my act there in the club. And and so I drove in and I got on stage and I, I won the contest. And and then I got into doing a, an improv with somebody and I, I didn't know what it meant. He said, you want to do an improv? I said, sure. And I did it and I, I, I don't know, God was with me. I just happened to throw some words out that that made the audience laugh and, and next thing I know I met a guy who was my manager for 22 years wow in Columbia yeah and then so so from that first time you got on stage uh, at that corner bar to being on Ed Sullivan how, how what was the time frame how long in you know was that in those days well, from the time I met Harry Columbia to the time I was doing the Sullivan show was about five or six months Wow I worked in in Greenwich Village and all those little clubs during the hippie days, you know, and, and uh, the Black Fat Pussycat and the Village Gate. Mm-hmm. And then he got me into, he managed Thelonious Monk and Mose Allison uh, with the handshake. He was a, a Harry was a, an English teacher out in Long Island. That was his job, but he, he loved jazz and he, he loved show business and he was managing those guys with a handshake and, and my, my handshake. and. Uh, and he was able to get me into some of those clubs that they had worked in prior. And uh, and I worked in the uh, Vanguard for close to a year on weekends. That's it. I went from my, my uh, swimming pool job into the, into the village. And one night, uh, Jack Babb shows up uh, and, um, and, and he says, uh, if Ed Sullivan likes you, uh, come on and try the, you know, try the uh, dress rehearsal. And if he likes you, you'll, you'll maybe get, give you a date up the road. So I went to the dress rehearsal. They liked me so much they cut time from everybody else and <laughs> put me on that very night. That's a, that, that ascension is amazing because nowadays with comedy, it, to even get a look on whether it's the late night TV shows or uh, getting a YouTube or Comedy Central or Showtime special, you have to have been doing it like 10, 15 years. I mean, not months, yeah. but years because they say, yeah. oh, like I'm seven years, I may as well be a seven-year-old in the business, so therefore I'm not ready yet to get on to that, to that next big level because you haven't found your voice. But it sounded right. to me that being a working man and then getting an opportunity to do this, you found your voice and, and America loved your voice, or should I say voices? <laughs> <laughs> I think they sort of like my attitude. You know, I didn't get out there and BS or, or act like so. I would just, you know, lack of days ago, I wouldn't run out to the microphone. I'd walk out. You know? <laughs> 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 and and it just, I just did it to make people laugh, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. It just grew. Yeah, and you were and you were of that generation of the Rich Littles, the David Fries, the Will Jordans, the uh, yeah. uh, and so in Frank Gorshin was another one, and a lot of those uh, comics, the the because nowadays I guess on stage at, at a comedy show, which I, I don't like, I, I love any kind of humor. I don't, I, it could be a knock knock joke if it's funny, and they say, oh well, you know, impressionists or guitar acts and singing acts and everything, and that's hack. And I'm like, no, not necessarily. And I I kind of like those going back in time, whether watching you on Sullivan or watching the Impressionists and everything that they do that they turn 
turn their back and they say, you know, here's Elvis Presley, here's this and that. And I kind of like that because you kind of close your eyes and it's that theater of the mind. And uh, I, I really like that. And especially when you had somebody like Will Jordan who did the Ed Sullivan impression, who was known as the Ed Sullivan impersonator. And then you go on stage and you do this because you're of the next generation of the Sullivan acts that can do Sullivan. And, uh, you know, the story that you have in the book, he he actually really, really liked your impression, it sounded like. Absolutely. He uh, he just liked the fact that I was into his mind, I think. And that's what the guys <laughs> would say when they'd leave the booth at the end of a show. They'd say, man, you had that guy, that guy, you're into his head. You, you. <laughs> because I'd make the mistakes, I'd do the flubbing and the this and that. Will, Will is a beautiful guy, and, and Will Jordan... Little Jordan always announced from the stage after after I got on, and I, he'd say, everybody does my impersonation of Ed Sullivan except John Biner. He's got his own thing, and I'm really and he really loved it. Oh, that's and it great. Was, and I really admired that from, from him, you know, because uh, it meant a lot to me, you know. And, and, uh, and I, w- I was always of the attitudinal thing rather than to slick my hair back greasy black like he did and, uh, and hold it and get his neck disappear. You know, I just like to just kind of swing around and do him and make my mistakes <laughs> and all that kind of stuff in a, in a kind of a, I don't know, a, I guess a hip kind of way you might say. I think what a lot of people don't understand with doing an impersonation or impression of somebody is that there really is that love behind that. Like, I, I guess it's one thing if you're a Saturday Night Live that can, you know, Alec Baldwin does Trump or, uh, you know, the uh, Jim Carrey is Joe Biden or w- whatever the case is, because that's, that's television. It's almost like it's a job. But when you're doing an impression, you're doing it out of a point of love. You loved Ed Sullivan. You loved watching the show. You were a fan of his. You were a fan of the show. You were a fan of the variety that was going from that show. And so when you were doing it, you weren't doing it because you didn't like him. It was out of malice that you felt obligated no. to do it. You loved Ed Sullivan. and you and, I and that I love everybody. I did. <laughs> I, I once said, I, once said I, I can't do an impersonation of someone I don't like. And, and and one man popped up one night and he said, you you liked George Jessel? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he made me laugh. I had nothing against him. He, he made me laugh. I didn't know uh, his politics or anything else. I just, I just did him because he made me laugh. I, I, did you ever get a chance to do the Jessel impression where you're dressed as him as the Postmaster General? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was, on, <laughs> it was on the Kraft Music Hall. Uh, special and uh, Rich Little played Johnny Carson, and uh, and uh, Sheila McCray played the Zsa Zsa Gabor, and uh, I played George Jessel in that uniform. <laughs> he made up himself. <laughs> he was a Toastmaster General. He got that word, the General of the of the World. They called him Toastmaster General of the World. Uh, and, and anyway, he wore that. Uh, he I wore that thing, and and uh, this is the only guy that really made any kind of. Uh, remark about my impersonating uh, them and, and uh, except for Johnny Mathis but it was another situation but uh, uh, I did Judge Jessel and, and he was known for showing up uh, at rehearsals with these young women you know? <laughs> <laughs> he'd, uh, he'd, he'd have them all these beautiful young women around him and and, uh, and everybody used to you know like make fun of that behind his back and and I I was on my I was on the I was on this thing and rich little uh, Asked me what I was doing, and I said, "Well, I was in, uh, I was walking down the street with my niece Heather, 
And, you know, and, and he called them all his nieces. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 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 I got a I got a, a message that he was he was going to sue me <laughs> for defamation of character. Oh, jeez! So I called my agent. I said, "Hey, blah blah blah," and he said, "Ah, oh, don't worry. Every time Jessel's out of work, he sues people." <laughs> and 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 it, it turned out that that he could not sue me because it was in the script. I, you have to sue the producer and than the writers or whatever. The producer mostly was in charge of what came out of that show. Did, At any rate, did you did you did you do the acid. did you do the hello the hello mama? <laughs> no, no, I didn't do his tune or anything like that. I just talk like that, you know. I said, you know, you know, with that that special line he had at the end of that, mommy. What do you mean? Who is it? You know, Georgie, Georgie from the Money Every Week. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Love those old Borscht yeah. Belt jokes. <laughs> yeah. The well, the uh, I talked to uh, the comedy writer and uh, f- well, former actor Tom Leopold, and he was telling me one story about that it had to be in the late seventies, like nine, and uh, I think. Um, he got a call, either he got a call or somebody, and I think Chevy Chase and a couple other people. They said, "Guys, George Jessel is doing a, a matinee show on the Queen Mary, <laughs> and we need." And so they all drove like a hundred and twenty miles an hour <laughs> down the four hundred five just to get to Long Beach to go to the Queen Mary to watch George Jessel, who was like in his late hundreds at that time, still still with the general outfit, still doing the Hello Mother. <laughs> Routine. It was oh just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Vaudeville, yeah. But uh, uh, it's just uh, and and you were ta- you were talking about Johnny Mathis too because your Johnny Mathis is just on. Un- you close your eyes, you think he's in the room. <laughs> I hung out with him a couple of weeks back. He was working here down here in Daytona and uh, had a big a big thing, uh, a big show, and uh, with. Uh, with Gary Muldeer and I hmm. love both of them. Uh, I, uh, Gary was on my show years ago, and um, and uh, we went back to the dressing room, my wife Annie and I, and uh, and, uh, and and he just he just said, hey, John, I don't know why you sing like me, but I don't know why I sing like that. <laughs> 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 and I just I just say I, I just used to not not hear some of the words if I'm in the next room and my sisters were playing Johnny Mathis or someone else on a jukebox and I, I just and he just I kinda like swallows some of the words and it would be like that's that's how I got my laughs it was it's not for me to say you who love you know that kind of thing and, and it got to be uh, uh, pretty hot uh, and then I saw comics doing that <laughs> oh yeah the world all over the world yeah, the the great the great impressionists. It's like you said. It's uh, how many people have done the you know the Billy West uh, voices that they're just doing Larry Fine, but it's Billy West Larry Fine, or they're doing yeah, again yeah. John Biner's version of Johnny Mathis. But exactly, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's one of those uh, they say that uh, uh, like was it stealing or whatever is the best form of flattery or whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever they say, it's cool. But most people know that I started it. So. <laughs> But getting back to Sullivan, I, w- I wanted to hear that story. Uh, you've, you've told it before, the the Coper story. <laughs> yeah. I was in the business about six months and, and did this Sullivan show once or twice or maybe three times. And he invited me and several uh, and, and a half dozen other acts that were on the show uh, a few times. 
to to join him uh, working a, a live show at Harris Club in uh, in um, Lake Tahoe, and uh, and we did. Uh, we went out there, and and we were. <laughs> there were several stories from that, but I have to leave some in the book. I can't tell. All oh that. yeah, but I'll tell this one. And uh, and we're out there, uh, and I, you know, I, after about the fifth night, where my do, I'm doing him, and and he would stand on the stage off the uh, stage right. Um, you know, just to just to watch the show like he would on television. You know, the same thing. The audience is out there, and he's standing on the stage about I don't know about fifteen yards from you to the right, and you're doing your act, and <clears throat> and he's responding, and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I'd I'd always say now here and here tonight I'd imper- I'd impersonate Ed Sullivan introducing acts. Now here tonight on on our show, live from the Coper. Johnny Mathis or Tony Bennett or one of those things. That's not for me to say. Whatever I did, you know. <laughs> Think of the Johnny Mathis song like Tony Bennett. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, the Coper like that. The New York accent, you know, like uh, New York will say. New York, as someone out outside of New York will says would say, I have an idea, right? Mm-hmm. But a New Yorker will say, I have an idea, you know. So it was obviously here over the Coper. I'd make it, I'd run that in. So one night he comes over to me while I'm doing the act, and he says, hold it, Biner. <laughs> Just at that place, and he says, I don't say Coper, I say Copa. Now say it right or don't say it at all. And he starts walking away, and I said, now here, starting at, right over, come right over to our stage from the Copa. And he looked back and he gave me that, that's it, kind of a look, and I went, Cabanner. <laughs> he went, he doubled up, he laughed so hard, tears were coming down his eyes. The audience is doing, the audience is out there laughing, but not in the book, I'll tell you what he did after that. So he calls me, the, 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 the laugh lasted for a good minute. Um, that's a long time for a laugh to, to, laugh, to, la- to last. Anyway, he calls me into his dressing room as I'm going down the hall to mine. He calls me in the dressing room, Finer, come in here. Did you hear that laugh out there? <laughs> he, said, yeah. he said, well, let's do that again. Let's do that every night. So, so I said, okay, fine. So the first night we tried it, and out here from the copper, I say, and he's walking toward me. He's walking toward me. He's, You know what timing's like, right, mm-hmm. Tony? He's walking toward me. He gets three feet from me, and he looks me in the eye, and he goes, and he turns around and starts walking away, walking back. <laughs> he got me. He got me. He just pulled that thing right in front of the audience. He got me back. And he smiled and he <laughs> he got me back. Oh, that's, so anyway. it's, that's a great story. <laughs> and so it, what, what's, it, what's interesting about the Sullivan years is because there, there hasn't really been, I mean, there were variety shows and stuff in the 70s, and you were on many of them, of course, and had your own, the John Biner Comedy Hour. Um, yeah. But there really wasn't, it was appointment television in those days because you would get an opera singer followed by a comedian, followed by a juggler, followed by, oh, you know, yeah. a, a band. And so you were... lean artist. It was in Topo Gijo. Yeah. Yeah, something for everybody. That's his theme. It was something from everybody. Like you said, opera, poetry, uh, little kid, uh, the dog acts. He had a dog act out in Lake Tahoe. There was a dog act with us. 
and it, it was, and that's what's interesting because then by the time the, the Sullivan Show ends and and Ed passed away in the early '70s, is that. It, the com the comedians that performed on there went in some different directions because you watch someone like Richard Pryor and you would go see him on stage and you say, whoa, that's not the Richard Pryor that I thought. <laughs> you know, I just saw him the other day. He's talking about football and he's talking about this and that. And it's like, oh, no, that's the different stage act. And you kind of took your humor in a different direction, too, because in the 70s, you did a lot of uh, character acting. Like I was just watching uh, you on Carol Burnett. You were doing your Donald Duck impression, which is just it's it's being just fantastic fired, Donald Duck being fired yeah <laughs> it, it's hilarious you run the odd couple you run all these all these shows and it but even with the John Biner comedy hour there were some sketches that were kind of ahead of their time and, and at the edge for those days where it's not going over the top it wasn't to the you know I guess the Smothers Brothers area but you were you kind of pushed the envelope a little bit in those days, and the humor was definitely out there too. And parlaying that into in the 1980s and with bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> it was bizarre, all right. It, well, because I was reading about bizarre, and what I did not know was bizarre was basically the, the concept was ABC wanted to get into the. I could be wrong. You could correct me if if need be. Uh, ABC wanted to get in the late night uh, realm of doing sketch comedy and everything, and they had Richard Dawson film a pilot, but it just didn't, I, I, for whatever reason, I guess it didn't take off, and eventually they had that Friday show that, uh, you know, Andy Kaufman and all that didn't work out, but um, it, it, but then eventually it, that you were called on to be the host of this bizarre show. What was the, what was the basis, and how'd you get yourself involved with this? Well, um, I didn't know I didn't know Richard Dawson had anything to do with the first bizarre show uh, until like four years ago. <laughs> oh, really? Someone told. No, I didn't. I, I I thought I was the only one connected with it. At any rate, I had I had done this Mother's Brothers, and I had done a lot of shows that Alan Bly and and Bob Einstein had uh, had produced and uh, and Bob had written for and what like you know and and uh, when it came to finding somebody that could do a lot of different things it was me and they hired me to do a lot of different things and uh and they told me it was going to be a lot different than uh and, you know it's going to be uh you know a little raunchier than most and uh and uh get away with things because they had no crit no people to uh to boohoo anything you did and uh and so i i signed on and uh we did uh, five years of, of that it was a it's it's a show that if you think about it, so it's well because it was a based it, now did you film that in Canada or did you film that in yeah. Hollywood? Okay, we did some we did uh, the first show we we did pieces of uh, in Los Angeles, and then every everything after that was up in uh, Toronto, Canada. Because even to this day, and some of my friends, I let them know about like these classic sketches and these shows, and uh, two shows I always point them to, to go to is one of them is Second City TV, SCTV, and the other is Bizarre. And you can, there, there's still a lot of, somebody's been posting a lot of the Bizarre clips online. Uh, you know, uh, there was, I was watching one the other day where you were doing a takeoff of Father Guido Sarducci. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and with all those things 
things I was always pretending that it was my idea, and then Bob would come out and interrupt me and say, "That's not that's not your idea." You know? Oh, the, the the breaking the fourth wall was hilarious because it was a show that was so self aware too. Where yeah. uh, there was the show with Billy Barty, where where you're on stage, you're telling this story, and all of a sudden it just starts raining, and Billy Barty's the umpire who calls the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Bob Einstein had a crazy mind. God bless him. Talk, talk a little bit about Bob, because Bob, uh, for people who don't know, Bob Einstein was the son of Harry Einstein, Park Your Carcass, and who, in, who famously or infamously died on stage at the Lucy and Desi roast back in the 50s. And they did the Is There a Doctor in the House? And Tony Martin had a, didn't he have a song that was like, uh, There's No Tomorrow or something that he sang in the middle of it? It was just, it, it wasn't a reading the room type of situation. But Bob Einstein, who... His 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 younger son or his uh, younger sibling is Albert Brooks, so it comes from that showbiz family, and for all you know, for a guy who was you know, like you said, Smothers Brothers, Van Dyke and Company, Sonny and Cher, and been a part of that, and then eventually has his own character with Super Dave Osborne. Talk a little bit about working with with Bob and who we just lost about two years ago. Well, Bob Bob was a well, was a friend of mine. We played golf together. We went out in boats together. We did all kinds of things. And he was like he was like in real life he was like he was like Super Dave. He just take chances and do things. <laughs> and um, if we had more time, I'd tell you more stories. But but Bob is a was a, it was a friend, and and he was he had a kind of wild attitude and a wild mind, and he, and and he he'd say what he thought. He'd say it right out to you. <laughs> and and uh, and I and and uh, I never I never impersonated Bob before Bob, but I since have, have made a lot of people laugh doing Bob doing Bob doing Bob's voice. Oh, and it was rather unusual, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so you know, he'd come out. I I'd, I'd be doing my thing, and he came. Hold it! Let's stop. Take you want to hold? Hold it, John. <laughs> That's not, you know, you're not doing that. That's not you, you know. And, and, and he'd go on like that. And, uh, yeah, that's the way it was. I always heard him on, uh, so, you know, he did the he did Super Dave from, which predated that. I think he was on Van Dyke and Company, and he... Yeah, he did it once before on the Van Dyke and Company, yeah. it, and it was perfect for Bizarre because not only could, you know, he slice his head off or he falls off a cliff or he's, yeah. he, he gets knocked off the CN Tower or he's dragged yeah. under a car. Right. <laughs> it, he, he's doing all this, but it's perfect for, for a show like Bizarre and eventually he got oh, his yeah. own show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was, boy, was he had his own cartoon show and then took off. And then basically right after that, he goes and does Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So he's really like never had, he up until basically the day he died, he had been working this whole time. Constantly. What was he had something to do? Was was he always? Did he always come up with like the the you know the rudest and dirtiest jokes with you as well? <laughs> well, he used to he used to call me <laughs> about six times a year. I'd be doing something. Uh, he's still out in L.A. and I'm in Florida, and and the phone would ring and I I wouldn't hear him say hi. This is Bob, or he wouldn't have to. Needless to say, but he would start like that. He was just I'd pick up the phone. I'd say hello. Two women walk into a salon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, was he just fantastic? I tried to get him on on here on the show, but uh, you know it, it because we're do, we do morning radio out here, and you know he's out in L.A. basically his whole life too. But yeah, it was it was a shame. But loved uh, loved Bob Einstein. I wanted to get uh, wanted to ask you a couple of more things uh, uh, about people you've met over time. You were friends with Roger Miller. You got a chance to meet James Cagney. I know a lot of these stories are in the book, and we'll make them go to the book, which is uh, Five Minutes with Mister Biner. You can get that now. Uh, make sure you get it for the holidays, everything. It's a fantastic read. But uh, talk about that time when you met Groucho. Groucho. Uh, so a couple meetings. The first one was uh, I, I went out to L.A. Uh, uh, to see my agent for something. I was still in L- uh, living in New York. And, uh, you know, I, when I say I went out to live in L.A. with Steve Allen, I, I, I'd gone out to... Uh, to L.A. before that, not to live, but to to see my agent out there, because they had something for me, and and he took me to to the, um, uh, the Friars Club uh, in in uh, Holly, in Beverly Hills, <clears throat> and uh, to see uh, one of his people is going was going to perform. I've forgotten who, but what, but but sitting there, and 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 there was an intermission. And everybody gets up and they're moving around at different tables and stuff. And I'm sitting by myself. My agent went to the bar to get some drinks or whatever. And uh, and I see Groucho Marx, who had been sitting closer to the stage in a, in a round table. And those people had gotten out and leaving him by himself with his cigar. And and I said, geez, I'm going to I'm going to go over and say hi to him <laughs> because I loved his stuff, you know. And uh and I said, uh, Mr. Marx, you don't know me, but I, I, I just think you're wonderful. And he said, oh, I know who you are. I know you. I know who you are. What I don't know is why someone who looks like you do does what you do. Now, think about that. That's a triple compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I walked away thinking, uh, I guess it is somewhere in there. <laughs> and so... And so I guess what he meant was, why does an Irish-looking guy do George Jessel with Mary Lewis? These guys. Anyway, I, uh, I, 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 years go by, and uh, and now he's in his uh, beret portion of his life. He wore this beret. This is the Aaron Fleming years. Yeah, and he's sitting. In, and I was I was working with John Davidson. We had a special we did for the Playboy Club. It was the Playboy Club, the Play Bunny of the Year Award. And uh, it was a big show, big stage, a lot of people, blah blah blah. And uh, there's something happened in the uh, with the equipment, and they they asked me to go out there on stage and kind of entertain the people until they got that fixed. So I I go out there, and and there's Groucho sitting in the front row with a a, a friend of mine I'd known for years, Connie Stevens, and, mm. and she was and they were escorting each other, I guess, to the show. <laughs> and and he's sitting there with his beret and his cigar, and I. And I and I had to tell that story about my first time I had met him, among other things. But that's one thing I told the story. And and I go back to my dressing room after the show. There's a knock on the door, and I open it, and there he stands with his glasses and his, his cigar in his mouth and the beret, <laughs> and and his overcoat on. And he said, "If you're a goyle, I'd marry you." <laughs> 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 uh, 
boy, what you really? What a life you've had, and yeah. you know, it, I, it, it, you've met your heroes. It's they. They always talk about don't meet, don't ever meet your heroes. But you not only met them, but they've oh, had man. complimentary things to say about you as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely neat. Yeah, you bet, you bet. You know, I met the Duke. I met the Duke and uh, John Wayne and. And Lee Marvin I worked with, that's on YouTube, John Weiner and Lee Marvin. If you want to have some fun, watch that. We There was a tribute to John Wayne. Frank Sinatra was the host. Glenn Campbell was there, and there's all these actors and actresses you'll see when you when you put that up. And they flashed to him laughing at me and, and, and Lee. And we do a takeoff of, of John Wayne and Lee Marvin around the campfire. And I'm, I'm John Wayne, and, and you'll have fun watching that, all of you. Yeah, because you were now. you were doing the you were doing the Rio Bravo, like you basically did the whole cast of Rio Bravo. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit I did. Yeah, all I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the Walter Martin, Brennan. Yeah. No, I can't shoot. Look at these hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you grab a balloon, ma'am. If you're not going to help out, grab a balloon. <laughs> Oh, come on, you guys. Don't mess around now. (laughs) It was just uh, fun to do. Yeah, I encourage everybody to do that. Uh, Go on YouTube. uh, Not only just buy the book, Five Minutes with Mr. Biner, but go on on YouTube and check out. Just just search John Biner and go through some of the history and see some of the shows you were on, including just about uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you were on Letterman in the Ed Sullivan Theater, and you basically did an abbreviated, super abbreviated version of the Ed Sullivan show it's just fantastic yeah. yeah I had to do I had to go pay pay homage to Ed and the and the and the people that that studio I hadn't been in it since since uh, Ed Sullivan had passed well, John, this was a real treat, and I, I really appreciate this. This is uh, a, a, a pleasure talking to you, somebody who is uh, like a hero in the business for a lot of people in the world of comedy, in the world of entertainment, voice acting, like with the Ant and the Aardvark. We didn't even get to that. There's so much to get to with you, but uh, it, you know, you check all of that out in the book. Like I said, Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, and it it's a great read. I recommend it to everybody. If you're a fan of old show business or show business in general, and it just the names that just jump out at you, it's one A-list, A-lister after another you were either working with, friends with, or even both. And it's it really is a great read. And I really appreciate getting this opportunity to talk to you, John. Hey, and I appreciate talking with you. You're a really good guy. Thanks a lot. Singers like Jackie Mason. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jackie Mason's not a singer. I'm not a singer. I might be a standard. I might be a pointer. Not to be confused with the pointer sisters. I'm not a singer. But if I was a singer, I wouldn't be a singer because I'm a singer if I had a pointer. But if I had to be a pointer, look who I'm talking to. You know who's a singer? You go, Julio Iglesias. Now that's a singer. <laughs> 